Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Defender Bible Study Podcast. My name is Chris Johnson and I serve as the National Director of Church Partnerships at Lifeline Children's Services. Today is February 8th, 2021, and we're going to be continuing our study, taking a look at the doctrinal statement for Lifeline Children's Services. If you have your Bibles uh, today, go ahead and turn to the first Peter chapter one. We're going to get there in just a second. We're going to read some verses before that, but we're going to really dive into that passage today uh, as we look at the uh, ninth lesson in our uh, study of our uh, mission statement, or not mission statement, but our uh, doctrinal statement here at Lifeline, which really ultimately is our mission statement. Uh, But today we're looking at the uh, truth that we believe that every believer is sanctified through the work of the Holy Spirit to pursue personal holiness. We believe that every believer is sanctified through the work of the Holy Spirit to pursue personal holiness. Uh, A few key words there that I think we need to draw attention to and be aware of as we uh, dive into this a little bit deeper today. One, of course, the word sanctified. Uh, This is the process of sanctification. Uh, We know that our salvation kind of comes in three different phases, if you, uh, so to speak, three different tenses. We have been saved. The moment we come to faith in Christ, we're immediately saved. That is called justification. Uh, We are immediately justified before God. We are, uh, it is a separation from the penalty of sin. Our sin is no longer held against us. Uh, we are able to, uh, to to stand in the, the reality that we have been uh, rescued from the penalty of sin and that we are saved at that moment. But then we have this process that we are currently are living in in the present, which is this process of sanctification, which is here as is a, is a process of us being separated from the power of sin in our life. You have been saved and you are being saved. Uh, And this is really what we're going to be talking about and diving in a little bit more to today. And ultimately, we are looking forward to that time of glorification. And this is that separation from the presence of sin, the day that we will stand in God's presence uh, forever, and we will be saved for all eternity. Um, So our salvation is secure. Those who are in Christ, we are secure in their relationship with God. But we all know we still have this sin nature within us, right, that we're still dealing with. Wouldn't it be great if we just were able to, the moment of salvation, just say goodbye to that sin nature and never had to deal with it again. Uh, But the reality is that's that's just not how God designed it. And so God is working this this perfecting in us, this completion in us, where he is is working uh, in us. We we say here in the statement that every believer is sanctified, and it's through the work of the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit that is doing this work. The Holy Spirit is the one who is changing us and shaping us and molding us into his image and crafting us into um, what will ultimately be uh, a prize that he will present to uh, to the Father. And so we, we have this process of him working in us and perfecting out uh, his work in us. But we also are told in Scripture that we are to work out our own salvation. Uh, 
And when and we're told to work out our own salvation, it's not meaning that we work in order to earn salvation. Again, this is those of us who are already in Christ. Our salvation is secure, but it's the idea that the Holy Spirit is at work in us. And while the Holy Spirit is at work within us, we also have the responsibility, as is said in our in our statement here, to pursue personal holiness. We ought to be living in such a way that we are striving, not only just sitting back and letting the Holy Spirit work in us, but we're also striving to be more like Christ, to be more like our Heavenly Father. And we should be actively pursuing personal holiness, uh, as well as seeing the Holy Spirit work in our life. And so that's really what we're going to look at uh, here today to help us to really understand. Ultimately, this part of our mission statement refers to our belief that those who are in Christ should walk in holiness. Uh, If we are truly in Christ, then our life should reflect that. It should be seen in the way that we live and the way that we conduct ourselves and how we carry out this this life that we've been left to live here on this earth uh, ought to reflect the holiness of God. And really, that's what our our lives are to be, right? We are to to reflect the image of God and and the realities of who God is should be reflected in our life and be seen and visible uh, in our life. And so uh, today we're looking specifically at this idea of God's holiness and how that should be reflected in us and how that should be visible and seen in us. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And 1 Thessalonians 4 really gives us kind of an indication of what sanctification means and what this process looks like. Um, And so in in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So again, we're seeing that this process of God pruning us, refining us, shaping us into his image, uh, this process of sanctification uh, is the will of God for every believer, for each of our lives. It is God's will that we be in this process process of sanctification. But then he gives us an indication of what that means. You see at the end of sanctification, there's a colon there that's kind of saying, here's following is what I mean when I say this word sanctification. So this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. You see that word there, holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. So we see here, it is the will of God that every believer be in this process of sanctification. And this process of sanctification is that we would walk in holiness. So we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this and look at it today. And hopefully at the end of our time today, we will have answered three questions. Uh, first of all, I want to look at the, the reality of what it means to be holy. The, the what of the question. What does it mean to be holy and to walk in holiness? Number two, we're going to look at why. Why should we strive for holiness? Why does it matter? And then number three, we're going to look at how do we move toward holiness? How do we apply principles in our life that will help us in this process of, of seeing the Holy Spirit work in us and moving us toward a place of holiness? So to do this, let's look at 1 Peter chapter number one. There's And there's several different places that we could look today, but I really want to dive into 1 Peter chapter one here and uh, and see what Peter has to say about this. Of course, the first 12 verses of 1 Peter 1 are just so rich and just such a joy to read as Peter is reminding us of the living hope that we have because of our relationship with Christ. He is showing us how uh, that hope is secure. It brings forth that inheritance that we spoke of earlier. So again, speaking of that justification, the reality that we are saved by grace through faith, that moment that we place our faith in Christ, our salvation is secure in him, and that provides for us a a living hope that we have uh, to 
enjoy and to look forward to. But then you move into the second part of chapter one, and he really deals with this idea of sanctification and this process and this working, this working of uh, God working his holiness in us. So beginning of verse number 13, he says, therefore, and of course, anytime you see the word therefore, it brings a connection. So in light of this salvation that we have, in light of this living hope, here is what's to flow out of that. Here's the reality that should be that should flow out of that living hope that is that we have in Christ. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, ye shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So we see here, first of all, uh, in verse number 14, we're going to really look at verses 14 and 15 to see the what it means to be holy, the, the what of it. And in when when anytime, just pretty much any time that, that Peter, Paul, others are speaking of this idea of holiness, it's usually presented in both a negative sense and a positive sense. So there is a negative thing, something that we're not supposed to do, and then there's a positive thing, something that we are supposed to do. And that's the approach that Peter takes here. In verse number 14, he says, as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Uh, the term here, obedient children, uh, the word obedient here, it's it's the, the Greek word is hupakuo, hupakuo, uh, and if you hear that, hupa, anytime you see that prefix, that prefix means under. So to put under something, akuo, uh, we can hear in that word acoustic, right? So the sound. So we're putting ourselves under the sound, and literally what it is meaning in this context is that we are to walk under the leadership, under the subjection of the leadership and the teaching of our, our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And where do we find that teaching? Where do we find the teaching of Christ? We find it in his word. So literally what, what Peter is saying is, is that we are obedient children. We're to walk under the influence, under the direction, under the tutelage, uh, under the, the, the teaching of our Heavenly Father, ultimately under Christ and ultimately under his word. So he says, as obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He is reminding us of the way that we were before we came to Christ, right? When we walked in ignorance, when we walked in a lack of understanding of, of who God was and, and how he loved us and the work that he wanted to do in us and the reality that he wanted to redeem us and save us from our sin. Before we came to Christ, we were ignorant. We didn't know this truth. We didn't understand this truth. But when we came to Christ in salvation, we came to him because God opened up our eyes and the Holy Spirit drew us to himself and, and brought us into a new understanding of, of the opportunity we have to now have a personal relationship with Christ. So what Peter is saying here, that the negative side of holiness is he's saying, don't continue in your former passions. 
Don't continue to live the way you did before you entered into a relationship with Christ. Don't walk in that ignorance that you had before when you didn't know God or you didn't have his Holy Spirit and you, you didn't know his word. I mean, even, even, even the Bible, we, we know that, that it takes spiritual eyes to be able to see what God's word has to say, spiritual ears to be able to understand. So before we came to Christ, we didn't have that understanding. And so Peter is saying, don't walk in the way that you walked before your relationship with Christ. Put aside the, those things. Don't be conformed to how you used to live. But instead, now he gives the positive in verse number 15. He says, instead, he says, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, ye shall be holy for I am holy. He says, so, so put off your old way and now embrace this new life of striving to be like Christ, to be like God. Um, he's, he says, to be as he who called you is holy. Uh, New American Standard literally says, be as the holy one. Uh, and so recognizing that this, this characteristic of God, his nature of his holiness, being holiness, the word holy being set apart, being different from, from others, others around, he says, Put away what you used to, the way you used to live, and now be like the Holy One. Be like your Heavenly Father. Strive to be walking like Him. And he says here, he says, do this in all your conduct. Um, this is not just talking about little specific parts of our lives, right? We, we really, uh, those of us who've been Christians for a long time, it's very easy for us to fall into that trap of compartmentalizing our lives, right? And saying, well, this part is, is kind of the way I'm going to live in one way, but in one, another area of my life, I'm going to give this. In another area of my life, I'm going to have this. And, and around these people, I'm going to act this way. And these people, but Peter doesn't give any room for us to think that way. There is no definite article that is used there. So the assumption is when he says all, he means all. All areas of your Conduct. All areas of uh, King James used that old word conversation, your lifestyle, the way that the way that you live. In all areas, uh, New American Standard says behavior, in all of our behavior. So in every part of our lives, we are to be striving for holiness. We are to be striving to be like Christ, to be more like the Holy One, God our Father. So Peter is telling us that to walk in holiness, he is telling us to put off our old ways, to put off the former ways, the ways that, that we used to live, and now walk in this new relationship that we have with Christ, striving to be like the Holy One. So, so we see what it means to be holy. It means to put aside those old things and be striving to walk with Christ and be like him. But why does it matter? Why, why should we be striving for holiness? Peter kind of lays out here in the next few verses uh, some good reasons and some good arguments for why this matters. I think the first one is really probably the most important one and really the clearest one. And that's just simply because God's word commands it. Case closed, right? We can close our Bibles. We can go home and do it. God's word commands that we strive for holiness, that we walk in this. He's, he says right there in verse 15, he tells us to do it. And then in verse 16, he shows us that this is not a new idea, but he's actually quoting Leviticus 11.44 uh, when he is saying, since it is written, ye shall be holy for I am holy. So this is not just a an Old Testament idea. It's not just a New Testament idea. This has been God's plan all along, that his followers would strive to be like him, that we would walk in holiness. So God's word commands that we should uh, walk in holiness. 
not only because of God's word commanding it, but also we should walk in holiness because Christ is coming, because Christ is returning to take us out of this world. And, and to, we're going to spend an eternity together with him. He's going to come and set all things right and give us a, a, a new creation. We talked last week about the importance of recognizing the uh, the second coming of, of Christ and the fact that, that he will come again to set all things right. Um, he, Peter goes on in the next next verse to talk about this. He says, and if you call on, on him as father who judges in part according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. He, he references here this time of your exile, again reminding us that this world where we currently live and the world system in which we currently live is not our home. This is not what we're striving for. We are exiles. We are exiles and aliens. And that's really what First Peter's all about. He's like, don't live for this world, but recognize that your time in this world system is temporary. Christ is going to return and he's going to make all things right. He's going to make all things new. He's going to set things straight. We are here, but for a moment. So, so and the first part of the verse, I think is a key point to, to look at. He says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially uh, according to each one's deeds. Now, when you see the word if, most of the time in, in the New Testament especially, when you see the word if, it really could be better translated since. It carries the idea that if this is true of you, and we know that it is true of you. So he's not saying here again, he's not saying that that if you do these things and if you strive for holiness, then you're going to get to a place where you're going to be a part of God's family and you're going to get to view God as a as a good judge and a righteous judge and spend eternity. He's not saying that at all. What he is saying here is since this is a reality up for you, uh, it is an assumption of this reality. So we literally could say since you have called on the father through Christ. So so since uh, you have called on him as father who judges him partially according to each one's deeds. This judgment that he's speaking of here is not the judgment of being judged for our sin. Again, our sins have already been dealt with, right? Our, our future secure. This is not God sitting as judge to determine whether or not we're going to go to heaven or hell. Since we are in Christ, that part is secure, but there is a sense of a time where we will give an account for the way that we live our life for Christ, a time that we will give an account for how we spent our energy, how we spent our focus, what our motives were, uh, how we lived this life. There is coming a time where we will stand before God. And the reality is Peter's not saying this, and he says to, to live out this time in exile with fear. He's not saying a fear in a dread and a, uh, man, I'm just scared of God and I'm scared of who he is. But he is saying, live in such a way that you'll be excited to get to spend eternity with your heavenly father, that you're going to be excited to, to grow in that. And, and the word fear, it's a, it's a healthy reverence. It's a reverence and an awe of understanding, um, yes, God is righteous and God is holy. And so I ought to be striving to, to please him and, and live for him. When I think of this idea, this what Peter is saying, I can't help but but think even as a, as a, as a young child growing up, you know, when um, when you would be away at school or, or your dad would be away at work. And, and, and man, when you, when that time when dad came home was always a, a good time an encouraging time. And it, you always, you, you know, whether or not we looked forward to that time of dad coming home was often dependent upon how we behaved during that day. Right. And so when we, when we had, when we knew that we were doing right and we were doing what we we're supposed to do, man, we were excited to give dad a report and, and share and, and, and to be able to just enjoy a, a time of reunion and time of refreshment. And Peter said, Hey, I want you to have that same, 
in expectation. I want you to be excited about Christ's return. I want you to be excited about, about spending eternity with your Father. And so live in a way that recognizes His holiness and recognizes that He is worthy of us walking in holiness as well. And so that we are in a good place of expectancy and, and excitement and looking forward to His return. Since this world isn't our home, we should be striving to live for him. We shouldn't be striving to live for this world, but instead we should be striving for holiness. So why does it matter? Because God's word commands it, because Christ is coming. And then the third reason that Peter gives us is because of the payment of Christ. Because of the payment of Christ. Let's read verses 18 and 19. I'll tell you, I don't know that there are any, any more rich, just, just encouraging, just great verses that so we're so unworthy uh, of receiving. But verse 18 knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as silver or gold but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or without spot he says hey we ought to be striving for holiness because god has redeemed us Ephesians 1 talks about the fact that we are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. And Peter goes on to say that that word redeemed means to be that we were bought off the slave market never to return. We were, we were bought out of that old way of living, out of, the, out of all the, the pains and the struggles that come with that old way of living and really the penalty that comes with that old way of living. We were bought off that market and we weren't bought off that slave market with silver and gold, but we were bought with the precious blood of Christ. He so desired to have a relationship with us that he was willing to shed his own blood, give of himself to pay the price for our sin. We have been bought and we belong to our Heavenly Father and we were bought at the, at the highest price possible. We were bought at the, at the most costly thing that, that he could ever give. He gave the blood of his son to pay for our redemption. And so as we think about that, how can we not strive to be like him? How can we not strive to walk in holiness? How can we not pursue a closeness and an intimacy and a relationship with him? We should strive for holiness because of the payment of Christ. Let's be grateful and thankful for this grace that has been made available to us. And, and let's strive to walk in holiness because of what Christ has done in us. So we see what it means to be holy. We see why it matters. And then Peter is going to show us how that we move toward this holiness. What are the things that we can do to be moving in this way? And to get this, I want to back up to verse number 13, really the, 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 the few verses that he led into this section with to help us understand. He really kind of gives us the idea and the secret and what we do before he described what he was telling us to do. So in verse 13, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Then he goes in again, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former lust, but as he has called you as holy, you be holy in all of your conduct. The focus that, that Peter gives us here, see, we, we tend to, when we're thinking of holiness and we're thinking of our sanctification, we tend to immediately go to what? Our actions. Things we're not supposed to do and things we are supposed to do, right? The do list and the don't list. And, and, and you know, growing up in, in Christianity, we oftentimes, that's what it's all about. Here's your, here's your to-do. Just give me the to-do list. I'll check off all the boxes, and that'll mean that I'm holy and sanctified. Peter is just blowing that idea out of the water. Peter does not, is not saying here that it's about our actions and it's about our checklist. Peter goes back to the root of our actions. The reality is, and you need to remember this principle always, we act the way we do because we think the way we do. We act the way we do because we think the way we do. 
Our beliefs dictate our behavior. We get that spun around so many times in, in our Christian walk and, and even in, in the life of the church. We, we focus all on, on making pe- make sure people look a certain way and we go to certain places and don't go to certain places and we do certain things and we don't do certain things. And, and it's all about shaping what somebody looks like and shaping the external. But the reality is what Peter is saying, if we're truly going to walk in holiness, we got to go to where the battle is taking place. And the battle is taking place in our mind. The battle is taking place in our belief system systems and the, the what we think about and, and who who we are on the inside and it's our beliefs and and what we believe about God and what we believe about his word and what we believe about God's desires for us and his goals for us it's those beliefs that then dictate how we behave and so Peter says it's all about our minds it's all about how we think he says here to, to first of all prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Uh, again, I can't read this without thinking of, the, of what the King James says. King James says to, to gird up the loins of your mind. That, that phrase is just obviously not one that's used in any way today. But the idea and what, what is being expressed here is in times, uh, biblical times, they would wear these long flowing robes when it was time for battle, when it was time for the fight. They would take their, their long robe and they would pull it up and they would tuck, tuck that into their girdle, into their belt, uh, so that their legs would be free to move, so that they'd be able to go into action unencumbered and unhindered. And so what Peter is saying here is there is a war that we're in the middle of. And this process of sanctification, is a, it's a process that is taking. And so he's saying, start by preparing your mind. Get ready for the battle that is at hand. Be alert. Be ready. Recognize the struggle that is there and control what goes into your mind so your mind is always ready for action. So your mind is always ready for battle. Keep it clear. Keep it pure. Resist the things of this world that would defile your mind. This is why it is so important that we that we do be careful of the things that we listen to, that we'll be careful of the influences we allow in our life, that we'll be careful of the things that we watch and look at, that we'll be careful of the places we go. The reason that all those things are, that we're to be careful about those is because all of those things have influence on our mind. And when we fill our mind with the things of this world, when we fill our mind with everything that this world has to offer, We are pushing out the things that God wants us to think on, the things that God wants us to dwell on. So we've got to fill our mind with the Word of God. Whatsoever things are true and just and lovely and pure and have a good report, think on these things. We've got to fill our mind with the right things. I mean, we, 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 um, from the time that we first had children, we've always been extremely careful about the things that we allow them to watch and the music that we allow them to listen to, because I don't want their minds filled with things that are gonna that are gonna put thoughts and ideas in their mind that are gonna lead them away. Things that are in, that are the influences of this world, and, and so we, we need to guard our minds. If that's true for children, how much more so is it for us? We've got to make sure that we're putting the right things in our minds so that we're thinking on it. Well, and I know, you know we can say, well, we can't really control what comes in our mind. And there, that is the reality. That is truth. We, uh, as in the flesh, we're going to have evil thoughts. We're going to have uh, temptations, and all these things are going to enter in our mind. But what Peter is saying is, prepare your mind in such a way to where that if you're thinking on the right things, you're reading God's word, you're hearing God's word, you're 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 hearing uh, things that honor the Lord, and and in hearing the influences of people that honor the Lord. 
then then you're much more likely to be able to re- recognize when those evil things come because, man, this doesn't belong here. This is not supposed to be here. And you're able to resist those things quickly and push those things so that you don't dwell on those things. But when we are constantly being barraged and allowing our mind to be filled with the thoughts and the ideas of this world, then we begin to just lose perspective and not even recognize the fact that we are being shifted and we are being moved about by the philosophy of this world system. So it's important that we intentionally prepare our minds. You didn't gird up your loins. You didn't put that 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 uh, that robe into your belt on accident. That was something that was intentionally done because you knew there was a battle at hand. And may we intentionally protect our minds knowing that we are in a battle, knowing that we must strive for truth. He gives the next phrase, and he says to be sober. It really kind of flows out of this same idea. Uh, be sober. Sober is the Greek word mepho, uh, uh, and it means literally to be discreet, to stay clear-minded, to stay focused on the right things. Again, don't be distracted and overwhelmed by the wrong things. When we think of the word sober, we immediately put it in the context of being drunk versus being sober, right? And so, so not being sober, being drunk, means that we've allowed ourselves to come under the influence of an external substance. We, we put ourselves under the influence of a different substance. And what he's saying is, is the, re, the opposite of that. Don't allow yourself to be under the influence and the thinking of this world, but instead walk with a clear mind under the influence of the Holy Spirit, under the influence of God's word. Ephesians chapter five, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be what? Filled with the spirit. The opposite of being, uh, being under the control of an external thing, he says, instead, Be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to keep your mind clear, to keep your mind focused. Don't be distracted, but stay focused on the right things. And then he says, in this mind, we prepare our minds for battle. We stay focused and clear-minded, and then we set our eyes on the finish line. We set our eyes on the prize that is before us. He says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your eyes on glorification. On the reality that, again, Christ is coming. He's going to make things right. We're going to enter into that time where we're completely free from the presence of sin. Set your eyes on that. Keep your focus. Uh, New American Standard says, fix your eyes on that. Stay focused on the finish line. And when you, hopefully, um, if things are, are able in this crazy world we live in, hopefully the Olympics are going to happen this summer, right? They were supposed to happen last summer. They're going to happen this summer. When you watch the Olympics, when you watch the sprinters and you watch the hurdlers, watch where their eyes are. They don't look down at their feet. They don't look at the hurdle in front of them. A good runner will always keep his eyes on the finish line. He will always keep his eyes on the prize. And he's not going to be deterred by the little pebbles that are on the track. He's not going to be deterred by the hurdles in front of him. He's going to, he knows that those things are realities. He knows that there are things that are in the path and things that are in the way that could cause him to stumble and cause him to fall. But he's not focusing on those things. Instead, he is focusing on the finish line. And as we run this race that God has before us, it would be easy for us to be distracted by the cares of this world and by the influences of the enemy and the evil one, the darts of the evil one, and by the the, the laughing and the the things that this world has to say about us, the distractions of this world, even sometimes good things that would distract us. But if we keep our eyes on the finish line and know that we are running toward that prize, And that will allow us to stay focused, to stay clear-minded, and to continue to do what God has called us to do.
So let's keep our eyes on that finish line. Keep our eyes on that prize. Peter kind of lays out for us again the, the what of holiness, the why of holiness, and, the, and ultimately the how of holiness. And the reality is, this is not the only place we see this. Paul said this gives us the same pattern over and over again. I can't help but think of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 22. He says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So same idea. Put off the old way of living. That's the negative side of things. But he says in verse number 24, he says, instead, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So put off your former life that is that is evil and wicked, and instead put on Christ, put on the new. And he tells us in that passage how to do it. We, you, you move from verse 22, I skip down to 24. I don't know if you noticed that. Verse 23 tells us how to do it. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So we put off the old man. We be renewed in the spirit of our mind, which allows us then to put on the new man. So again, Paul referenced the same thing. The battle takes place in our mind. We've got to protect our mind. We've got to think clearly. We've got to think right. Think purely. Another place that Paul said the same thing is a very familiar passage, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Again, the idea that we would present ourselves, salvation secure, already there, but that we would present ourselves holy and acceptable before God, which is your spiritual worship. And here he's going to tell us how to do this. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be squeezed into the mold of the world that we live in, this world system, this this wicked way. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what is that so that so that by testing you might discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect put off the old don't be squeezed in the and conformed into this world put on the new live out the will of God you will be able to demonstrate and prove that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect this is important remember God's not trying to keep something good from us the world, everything the world has to offer, it pales in comparison to what God's will has to offer, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And Paul says the way to do it is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How is our mind transformed? How is our mind renewed? It is transformed and renewed by the word, by the Spirit of God as He works through the Word of God. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God, brings it to life within us. This is why it is imperative that we be students of the Word, that we hunger for His Word, that we read His Word and study His Word and walk in the truths of His Word. We must allow the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to transform our minds. He wants to give us something so much better than what the world can give. So let me recap with, 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 with a few statements here and encourage you to just remember this as we uh, end our time together today. First of all, holiness does not begin with focusing on behavior. Holiness does not begin with focusing on behavior. Number two, holiness does begin with focusing on our thinking on our minds. The battle for holiness, the battle for our, for our sanctification takes place in our mind. So don't focus on the external behaviors, right? If, if you were to see an iceberg, the tip of the iceberg that you can see, that's the actions. The root of that iceberg that's underwater that you can't see, that's the belief system that dictates that action. That's the invisible. That's the part that shapes and determines. That's where we need to be putting our focus and our energy. Number three, Holiness is accomplished by the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, in the context of authentic community for the purpose of glorifying God.
I'll give you that again. That's there. I gave you four different things there. Holiness is accomplished by the Spirit of God. It is the work of the Spirit of God. It's accomplished by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. The Word of God is the tool by which He changes our mind and shapes and, and influences our mind. So it's accomplished by the Spirit of God through the Word of God in the context of authentic community. As we engage with the body of Christ, as we study God's word together, as we grow together, as we invite accountability in our life, God uses that to, to build us and grow us, ultimately for the purpose of glorifying God. That's what this is all about. It's all about bringing glory and honor to the one who has redeemed us. And then finally, holiness demands that we, by faith, appropriate the grace of God given to us through his spirit and his word. Holiness demands that we, by faith, appropriate the grace of God given to us through His Spirit and His Word. Again, this is not about being legalistic. This is not about a checklist. This is not about a list of do's and don'ts. This is about allowing, by faith, appropriating God's grace that has been given to us through His Spirit and through His Word. Only God can change us, and He uses His Spirit, and He uses His Word, and He uses His people to do this work of transformation in us. The very last moments that we have Jesus spending time on earth, praying to his Father in John chapter 17, in verses 16 and 17, he prayed this for all of his followers, all those who had followed him at that time and all those who had come behind, including you and I. He prayed this. He said, he said they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. It's not what we're about. Now that we're in Christ, we are not of this world. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And he prays this to the Father. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. May we be people that love God's word, that long for his word, and allow his word to transform our thinking so that we might walk in holiness, so that we might pursue personal holiness and be sanctified through the word of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This week, our prayer focus is on the country of Brazil. I'm going to read some different requests that we have uh, concerning the country of Brazil, and then we'll uh, end our time together in a word of prayer. I want to ask you to pray for the local church and for missionaries that are residing there in Brazil, that they'd be united, encouraged, and bold in their faith. We want to pray for truth and conviction for the people of Brazil, that uh, this is a country where there are great amounts of poverty, corruption, liberalism, and societal issues that greatly impact the people there. We want to pray the local church would rise up to share the gospel and they would minister to vulnerable families and children in foster care, even uh, become adoptive families themselves. We want to pray for uh, six families that Lifeline currently has in process that are adopting, uh, that are pursuing sibling groups and older children to, to adopt them from Brazil. We also want to pray for those families who are in the post-adoptive process, uh, that, that are home with their children, that the Lord would equip them to love their children well and to disciple them as they adjust to their new families. Pray that God would bring more mission-minded families to pursue adoption from Brazil. We want to pray also for the leaders of the country, that they would make laws that protect the rights of children in care. Pray specifically for uh, children that are in the care of the CAJAI, which is the uh, central authority there in Brazil, uh, and then also the many children that are living on the streets. I uh, just pray that God would reveal himself to them, that he'd provide for their needs, that he'd bring their paths to cross over believers that would help uh, care for them and point them to the gospel. Uh, we certainly would ask you to pray for our Lifeline team, uh, 
there that are working there in Brazil, Josh, uh, Ali, and Farah, working uh, with families that are adopting from Brazil. Uh, pray for our team that's on the ground in Brazil as well. Marcia, uh, Devere, and Marcos, our in-country attorneys um, as well. Pray that they all would feel supported as they continue to advocate for children in Brazil. And then finally, pray for the workers uh, at ACAF and CEJAI, the central authority there, uh, that they would make decisions that are in the best interest of the children. So let's pray together for the people of Brazil, uh, specifically vulnerable children and families there. Dear Holy Father God, we are grateful for the opportunity to lift these needs before you today. And Lord, as we turn our hearts' attention specifically to children there in Brazil, God, we pray uh, that you just would work in their hearts. Lord, those that are orphaned and vulnerable and on the streets and in the care of government and well, maybe uh, living in orphanages and longing for adoption, God, I just pray that you just today would reveal yourself to them. I pray that you would draw them close to yourself. I pray that you would uh, allow their past to cross with, with Christ followers, Lord, that would, uh, Lord, take of their advocacy and then also uh, love them, care for them, and more than anything, point them to the power of the gospel to change and transform their lives and their future. Uh, Lord, we pray for families that would that would hear the call, that would see the need of children in Brazil and would step up and answer that call and pursue uh, adoption of these kids. Lord, we pray for those families that are in process right now. And Lord, this is a difficult time to be in that process. And I pray you just would pour out your grace upon them and help them to know, Lord, that you are working through them and just give them peace, uh, help things to fall in, in order, Lord, and fall into place for them so that they will be able to bring their children home soon. And then, Lord, we pray for those families who have recently adopted or have adopted in the past from Brazil. God, I pray that you just would continue to, to strengthen their families, give their uh, these parents wisdom, God, to know how to disciple and pour into and train uh, their children for the kingdom and for their service in the kingdom of God. And I pray for these children, Lord, that they would be able to connect well with their families. And uh, Lord, that you just would continue to work in their lives and draw them to yourself and save them by your grace. Uh, Lord, we pray for the government there and government agencies, God, uh, that they would make laws that are in the best interest of vulnerable children and uh, that would provide the support and love and care that these kids need. And then, God, we pray finally for the church and for Christ followers, missionaries, believers that are there in the country of Brazil. God, I pray that you'd help them to be bold in their faith. Give them uh, a united front. May they be encouraged and strengthened. May they work together, uh, Lord, for the, the furtherance of your kingdom and the furtherance of the gospel. Give them a burden and a heart, Lord, for vulnerable children and families, God, and give them the ability to care for them well. Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege and opportunity to be a blessing to the people of this country. We pray, God, that you just would work in mighty ways as only you can do, and we'll be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. For it's in the wonderful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music